for we Christians, unity is not an option. For we Christians, unity is not a luxury. For we Christians, unity is an essentiality. One of our favorite passages, right, is Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It was several weeks ago. You may remember I had a big wagon wheel up here. And I was using that to illustrate unity, togetherness. Noticing how, in a sense, we are like that wagon wheel. The wagon wheel can be symbolic of God's family. At the center, of course, is Jesus. And the closer we are to Jesus, remember how those spokes at the center of the wheel are closer to each other. The closer we are to Christ, the closer we are to the family of Christ. But we also notice that the further you get away from the hub, the center, Christ, you know, there, there's more of a distance between those spokes. There's more of a distance between us and us. And we understand that unity, us getting as close to Christ as we can possibly get, us getting as close to the family of Christ as we can possibly get, that is Christ's will for us. It is his prayer for us. You remember John 17 he prays to the Father for several hours, it seems. And he begins the prayer predictably by talking to God about those closest to him, the apostles. How are they going to be when Jesus is away? He's concerned about them. But then, surprise of all surprise, maybe even honor of all honors, he begins to pray to the Father about us we are in the mind of Jesus. We are in his heart shortly before he is to die for us. And remember, five times there, he prays that we would be one. That we would be as close to each other as Jesus is to the Father. That's really, really close, isn't it? So let us get this in our minds. That unity is in the mind of Jesus. It is his will for us. It is his prayer for us. It is his idea for us. It is his command for us. So how do we do this? How do we get to the oneness, the togetherness that, that God desires, that Christ desires, and that I'm sure we desire? Well, at the end of that sermon where I had that wagon wheel up in front of us, I mentioned that Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, he has a great section of scripture there that guides us into the how do we get this done. It's a wonderful thing that God hasn't just told us be one, be united, be together, and then kind of left that up to us to figure out how to make that happen. He's told us specifically some things that you and I get to do to have precious togetherness, to have precious unity that moves us closer to the Father, that moves us closer to our brothers and sisters in the Father's family. Would you look now with me, please, at 1 Peter chapter 3 and be looking 
with a serious mind, understanding that we are in full pursuit of the things that we get to do, the qualities that we get to embrace that will assist us in our path to greater strength, greater togetherness. I'm noticing, first of all, from verse 8, these words. Finally, finally. That's a congregation's favorite word to hear from a preacher, finally. But I would alert you to this. You notice after Peter says, finally, that there are a lot more words. He does a lot more talking to them, doesn't he? He's saying, finally, in the sense of, hey, this is really, really important. Pay attention to this. Finally, the grand conclusion of all I've written previously is this. All of you, not most, no exceptions, all of you, all of us. Here's the commission. Here's the command. Be of one mind, having compassion for one another, telling us how to have this one-mindedness. Have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That's the easy path. That's kind of popular these days. But on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you're called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And notice verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days. That's all of us. We love life. We want to have good days for ourselves, for our families. Here's the key. Let him, can you do this? Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil. And notice as we turn away from evil, we're turning toward good and do good. Let him seek peace. And pursue it. Again, he's told us how to seek it, to pursue it, to obtain it. He starts out again with, finally, all of you be of one mind. And you notice that, Again, this is important to highlight. He doesn't just say be of one mind. He says here's what we get to do to be of one mind. Now, we understand, right, that most all of us, we have no problem with us being one mind as long as that mind is our mind. We want people to have our mind, think like we think, our attitude. We don't want somebody else's mind. Don't want somebody else's attitude. That could be a challenge. But it's not our mind that he's telling us to have. He's not saying have that other person's mind. He's telling us to have the mind of Jesus Christ. Now we hear that a lot. We read that a lot in our, in our Bible. 1 Corinthians 2.16 it says in fact we have the mind of Jesus Christ. 
Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we've thought a lot, we've heard a lot, we've read a lot about the mind of Jesus. But, but let's just put, put an anchor down on that point and really try as best we can to grasp what does it mean? What are the profound ramifications to you and I having the mind of Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings? What does that mean to have his mind? Well, doesn't it mean that we will have the desires of Christ? The desire to love as Jesus loves, we'll have the desire to serve as Jesus desired to serve, that we will have the desire to forgive to the level Jesus desired to forgive? Doesn't it mean that we'll have the desire to feed others as Jesus did? To save others as Jesus did? We'll even have the desire to die for others as Jesus did when we have his mind. Having the mind of Jesus, doesn't it mean that we will be in full pursuit of the maturity of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, the perspective of Jesus, the demeanor of Jesus Christ? That's the path we're on. Let our mind match his mind. What a, what a concept. What a church will be. What a life we'll live when every, every mind, he says, all of you, no exceptions, one mind, and that mind belongs to Jesus. And then he further develops this idea by telling us to be compassionate. Be compassionate. Have a passion, in other words. Can you put the slide back up, please, back there? To have a passion for other people. To actually understand that our life is better when we're doing what we can do to help others have lives that are better. We understand that we're not living exclusively for self now. We're selfless. We've diminished. We've decreased so Christ can increase, so others can increase. Again, all this is a part of being one in the, in the midst of diversity, of, of differences. One of the things that can't be different about us is that we are in pursuit of a, a good Samaritan mentality. We're, we're, we're not trying to avoid the person in the ditch. We're willing to, to, to get off our, our convenient path, the, the easy, the popular way. We're willing to look and see there's a person over there. There's a family over there. And they're in trouble. And they need not my indifference. They need my, my mind of Christ to activate in ways that will help them. I need to be willing to swerve over there. And, and to, 
to understand that may cost me some time. That may cost me some money. I may get some, some blood on my blanket. I, I may have to major inconvenience myself, but that is the path to unity. That is the path to getting closer to somebody. How can we be close to somebody we're ignoring? How can we be close to somebody we're indifferent towards? It's not possible. So he begins this again by saying, you're one, you have this mind of Jesus, and you, you get on this path of compassion, of meaningfully caring for the other person. So let me, let me kind of revisit this point of, of how this can practically happen. How, how can we have one mind and, and then have one kind of compassion for others in the midst of all our differences? See, unity does not require us to be identical to each other. Thankfully, thankfully we all have our shades of differences. We're not exactly like me. How awful would that be? But thankfully we're not all just like you are. We, we can celebrate our differences. Our differences can actually enhance the body of Christ. You have talents, abilities, gifts that others don't have, and you bring those and you put those in the pot and you make the recipe, you make the feast a whole lot better. It's kind of like this, maybe. The, the body, you, did we learn this in school? Were you there that day? We got millions and millions of cells. And each of these cells is different. But all these cells come together with one mind. They have identical DNA. And somehow, someway, it all just happens to work pretty effectively. We were, we were singing earlier. Thank you for singing so beautifully, right? But, but we have different voices. We have different parts that we sing. But we're all singing from the same page, the same sheet of music, the same harmony, the same melody. Differences don't keep us from coming together as one in a body, in a forever body, a forever family of believers and doing good things to the glory of God. And it's no accident, it seems, that, that he recommends as first on the list, be compassionate. Be visibly concerned about other people. And, and real closely connected connected to that we got the next is to to be loving that's the way it ought to be in our families and you may be sitting there and says to, to love his brothers and you may be thinking well my brothers don't love me that much or my you know in physical family the way it ought to be in the family is brothers all love brothers sisters all love sisters we ought to care about others more than we care about ourselves and so if you come from a physical family where there wasn't a whole lot of that that could project itself into the forever spiritual family and we might have issues it's like with some kids we we try to teach them that you love God God is your father and he cares for you but if that kid has a bad earthly father, they may have difficulty relating to a heavenly father. They may be connecting too much with a father on earth that doesn't seem to care about me, and there's some invisible, invisible father who you say cares about me. I don't get that. So he's telling us to love as brothers, but the idea there is the, the, the elevated view of love, the grandiose view of how love in our physical family should be. It should be so great in our physical family that it just kind of blends or, or bleeds over into our forever family where it's a quite natural transition. 
where we meaningfully have care, have a heart for those around us. Um, Remember in John 13, Jesus talking about how we're to love one another. And then he tells us by this, speaking of love, shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Hey, worship's important. How we dress out in the world is important. How we smile is important. A lot of things are important. But the one thing that Jesus said the world could judge us on and judge are we really of Jesus is our love for those that we are in Christ's family with. The world should be able to see how we prize one another, how we encourage one another, how we serve one another, how we pray for one another, how we forgive one another, how we're patient with each other, how we delight to worship together. The world should see that, and it should be like a flashing neon sign. It is unmissable. Those folks love one another. Therefore, I want to be a part of a family like that. Not a family that is feuding or fuming all the time, but a family that is getting closer to God, getting closer to one with a visible love. 1 John 3, 14 and following. I won't take time to visit that great section of Scripture with you this morning, but I would give that to us humbly as an assignment to look at all of the writings in those small letters from John at the end of your Bible, where he, he speaks so passionately about love, and he just asks a great rhetorical question, how can we love a brother that we see when, when, we're not, when we're not being what we ought to be? How can, how can we claim to have a love for these people that, that we see? when we're not doing things that make a difference for them. When they're hungry, we're not giving them food. When they're unclothed, we're not providing them with some, some cover. When they have a, a spiritual issue and we're, we're just kind of, okay, that's your, that's your problem. You, you deal with it. Good luck to you. Praying for you over here. And he, he further develops the idea if we're not loving, again, intangible, visible, productive functional ways, those that we're seeing, how can we claim to love an unseen God? So it's a real practical kind of love. It's not, John doesn't write about the love that the poets write about or the, the songwriters write about. He's, he, he's writing about a love that shows up when there's a need and there's consistently a need. And, and sometimes the more a person needs love, the, the less loving they're going to be towards us. We got, we're okay with that. They crucified Christ. He kept loving. So our love for others is, is, is unconditional. That's, a, that's agape. Doesn't matter if it's appreciated. Doesn't matter if it's reciprocal. We're just going to love. Because we want that oneness. We want that unity that Jesus prayed about. That we're in full pursuit of. So we're to be compassionate, we're to be loving, also closely aligned with these. We're to be tender-hearted. What is the world seeking to do to our hearts? It, the world is seeking to, to harden our hearts. What do we see all around us? It seems like every day we see violence. We see hatred. We see abuse. 
We see starvation while we're eating our pizza. We see lots of bad stuff going on. And, and what can happen to our hearts is the more and more and more you see a bad thing, something that ought to shock, something that ought to move, something maybe ought to disgust us, something ought to prick us, the more we see it, the more jaded we can become. And it seems like we're surrounded by forces trying to desensitize us, to unsoften hearts, to make us more callous people. But again, to repeat the theme, God expects better of us. He expects tender-heartedness from us. Again, a care that is tangible is something that can be can be almost held in your hand or or felt or or seen or tasted even it is something that's in us that that makes life better for those that we're seeking to align ourselves with that we're seeking to be in heaven with i mean you think about all the oneness all the togetherness we've got going on we got the same lord we've got the the same bible we're trying to live by we're cleansed by the same blood we're wearing the same name we're going to the same eternal destiny there's a lot of one of this one of that the sameness togetherness and all of these things help us in, in, in getting even closer. And, and this tender heart, it can be like the glue that, 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 that keeps us. You know, it's just hard to, it's hard to be close to a hard heart, to, to, to an indifferent spirit that, that says, I'm, I'm, I'm just not that passionate about what's going on in your heart, in your life. I've got my stuff. I've got my issues. Maybe one day when my life is exquisitely perfect, then I can budget some energy, some emotions, some parts of my now softening up heart for you. You remember what Paul said in functional Christianity? This is Galatians 6.10. He said, as we have therefore opportunity. By the way, we have lots and lots of opportunity if we're just looking. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men. Then he says this, but especially those of the household of faith. Who are these people? These are the people we're trying to get closest to. How do you get closer to people? You do good for them. You do good with them. It just has a way of, of binding us closer together. And then he tells us to be courteous. Be courteous. Isn't this, isn't this practical? He tells us to, in other words, be too big to be little. We're not to be rude toward one another. You agree with this? It is always rude to be rude. It is always wrong to be rude. And yet we understand that rudeness is exalted in our culture. Our political leaders, do you hear how they talk? It's really rude. And it's really unnecessary. Do you hear how many in the media talk to our leaders? It's really rude. And it's really unnecessary. Do you, do you see the news reports of so much rudeness that's happening in our culture? Do you drive? 
And in the shoals, it's not nearly as bad as in other communities. But there's a lot of rudeness on the highway. But that's not the way it is to be with Christ, people. We should be the most polite. We should be the most respectful of all people. We're called to a higher path. Living in probably the rudest generation there's ever been, which is saying something. We're called to go higher when people are going lower. (laughs) Do you have an example of a Christian who has been rude? Does another person have an example of a Christian who is rude and they're thinking of you or me? I'm thinking of a fellow. Decades ago this happened. This morning in the early service when I mentioned this brief story was the first time I've ever shared it publicly or privately with anybody. Judy never heard, heard this one. We had a, a Chevy Monza in the early days of our marriage. Anybody else ever had a Chevy Monza? Raise your hand with humility. Nobody. You had a Chevy Monza? So you understand why I needed to sell the thing, right? Okay. We have so much in common, so much unity you and I have. Why didn't you raise your hand immediately? Why did it take a while for you to think? Was it a Chevy Monza? Now you're involved in my story. Aren't you glad you raised your hand? We needed to sell this thing because it was a, Vicky's was probably better than ours. It was a piece of junk. We need to get something better, something safer, something that would actually go uphill. And so there was a car dealer in this community who also was a preacher. Now that's an awesome combination. A car salesman and preacher. Well, that's what he was. He did not know me. I did not know him, but I knew about him. And so I drove our Monza over to his establishment. He came out and uh, met me, and I said, I'd like to sell our Monza. And he looked at it. He looked at me, and he said, how much do you want for it? And I gave him a price that I'd like to have for it. And here's what he did. Now, this is a preacher. And don't we expect more preachers? That's not fair, but we do, don't you? Okay? So... I give him the price. Literally, literally, this is what he did. I, I'm, I'm standing here. He's standing over there. I, what, what do you want for the car? I, I give him the price. Here's what this preacher of the gospel does. Literally, this is it. The last time I saw that man, I saw his backside. That's it. He didn't say, that's too much. Have you lost your mind? I think we can, we can negotiate on this. and work. Maybe you don't understand that's too much. He walks away. And I'm, I mean, he never looked back. I don't know if I'm supposed to say, hey, let's talk about it. I'm sorry, that's too much. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But I do know that my mama raised me to know that's rude. That's rude. And I know you're sitting here thinking, what in the world price was Jeff saying? And then we'll evaluate if that was rude or not, right? How many people we're going to lead to Jesus, oh, forgive me this visual, when we're showing them our backside? How many? Oh, that guy showed me his bad side, we'll say, and now I want to be a Christian like him. He cut me off in traffic. He was rude to me when I served the, the meal and got the order wrong or something. You know, he, uh, he yelled at me when I made a bad call. 
during the baseball game. He screamed at me because I wasn't playing his kid enough. I want to be like, I want to be a follower of Christ like that guy. Rudeness is like a huge bear says, do not become a Christian if we Christians are rude. Rudeness, again, I repeat, is always, always, always wrong. They're rude to me. Okay. I think that's survivable. That's why Peter would tell us very clearly to be courteous to one another. Let us speak kindly to all people. Tonight, when you come back, we need to finish our journey here, don't we? And you can join us online, but I hope you'll come back. By the way, early service this morning. Good crowd, good crowd. Over 200 again in Bible classes. We're coming together, social distance-wise, some wearing masks, and that's a good decision for a lot of folks. It's a good thing. Had several families at early service haven't seen since March of last year. What a blessing. What a blessing. So tonight, when you come back, we'll further develop this this idea from Peter, these, these, these items that we can embrace, these things we get to do in order to get closer to God, closer to one another. These, again, these are not options. These are not luxury items to consider. These are things that we get to embrace. These, these are essential parts of effective, unifying Christian living. And we'll especially talk about our talk tonight. That's a favorite subject of everybody because none of us ever say anything we shouldn't say, right? So that'll be easy to listen to tonight. We're going to look at that a little bit tonight and, and some other things. I love you, appreciate you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to study what we get to do in order to be closer to you and closer to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, Father, to take seriously the privilege of being in pursuit of togetherness. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to be loving. Help us to be tenderhearted. Help us to be courteous to all people, but especially to those that are brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, if we need prayers this morning, help us to pursue those. If we need forgiveness, help us to pursue that. We're thankful this morning. In our earlier service, Sister Lou McClung came forward seeking prayer, seeking forgiveness. If there are others that need to do as she has done, we pray that will happen in this assembly. If there are those, Father, that need to put on Jesus for the remission of all sins, contacting his blood in the waters of baptism, in obedience to Acts 2.38 and numerous other passages, we pray that will happen this morning. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus we pray. Amen. If we can help you, would you come, please, while we stand and sing?